Hi, everyone. It's your host, Andrew Mackey here. Thank you very much for listening to this, the latest episode and the first episode featuring an interview. The interview is with a good friend of mine, Matt Cook. Uh, We talk about a whole bunch of different subjects, uh, ranging from Matt growing up, uh, the music scene in Brisbane, Australia, also through to things like touring that he's done with bands like Mono, Caspian, La Dispute. And then we finish things off with a, a chat about yoga and fitness, mindfulness, and uh, how good things like yoga can be for you. There's a couple of uh, some cool things that we mentioned throughout. Uh, you'll hear us talking about a whole range of things, like I said, uh, Diamond Dallas Page, The Wrestler, uh, through to old Brisbane uh, bands like Stabbed in the Guts. There's, there's some cool stuff in here. Um, and I just really wanted to say a big thank you to Matt for recording the episode with me on his amazing rig and also putting together a fantastic edit. Uh, this is the very first interview that I've done, so I'm, I'm quite happy with how it turned out, uh, and it's going to be interesting as we move forward and, and see you know, how I can improve on the, uh, the interview skill. Anyway, guys, we're going to get into it. Uh, please... As always, as you'll hear in any other podcast, please like and subscribe. And uh, I really appreciate you checking my podcast out. Thank you. Hi, Internet. Welcome to episode three of A Few Quiet Ones. Uh, This is the podcast where I hope you can join me on my quest for inspiration, knowledge and awareness as I share a few quiet drinks with people who I think have interesting stories to tell. Uh, Today's episode features a good friend of mine, Matt Cook. G'day, Matt. Hey. Um, I actually can't remember the first time we actually met. It was probably Fat Louis or possibly Rosie. The basement? Basement, yeah, actually that's probably where it would have been. Uh, through Lachlan or Whoever someone else. along those lines, I'm, I'm assuming. Or someone. Shout out to Lachlan Watt. Hey. Uh, yeah, so today I want, just wanted to say thank you to start off with uh, for agreeing to do this with me. I'm Pleasure. stoked. Matt's uh, a sound engineer, audio dude, um, plays drums, sings in metal yeah. bands, hardcore uh, bands. I think officially you could say I'm the technical manager of the Dracula's Gold Coast venue. There I think we that's go. That's my professional right. title. Professional Matthew, title. But, uh, Look him up on LinkedIn. <laughs> I don't have a LinkedIn. <laughs> oh, sh- dude, dude. Uh, I don't need one anymore. Yeah, anyway, Matt, Matt uh, you know, is heavily involved in the music scene, both from uh, a technical point of view behind the scenes mm. and also behind the microphone yeah. in various forms. Um so, yeah, Matt, I wanted to start off by asking you about where you grew up, what growing up was like for you. Just uh, just give us a general background on how things were. Sure. Uh, from the earliest I can remember until the age of six or seven, I was on the Sunshine Coast, a little town called Bly Bly. Things were cool. I was riding my bike and digging holes in the yard and dancing around in the sugarcane ash that would fall from the sky from the burn-offs they do every week. That's really cool because I did the same thing right? growing up in Cairns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, go to the beach, um, things that you do when you live in a coastal area, I guess. Um, I had a really good friend uh, during those days. We used to go skating and stuff when we were younger and he got me into listening to like punk bands and... You know, fr- you know, friends all and watching Channel V and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then at the age of around, yeah, six or seven, I moved down to the Bayside area in Brisbane and just did my thing as a city kid, I guess, until I moved out of home at 18. Cool. So, grew up sort of on the sunny coast a little bit and then on the Bayside. For those who don't know, whereabouts in the in Bayside, like the Redlands? Yeah, Redlands. I was in Burkdale. So it's about what, 20 minutes from the city. Yeah, 20, 30 minutes from the city. Yeah, so it's kind of like, uh, um, so I guess you could say like almost semi-rural kind of out there. Like I guess, yeah, it's kind of the, a, a medium between coast and city. Yeah, so mm. it's kind of like 
suburban slash there's yeah, farmland. It's heavy suburban, but still has a, a, a vibe, I guess. Yeah, cool. There's still a waterline and fish and chip shops around and mum and dad. So from around six up. or seven through till when did you move to by yourself? 18, was it? 18, well, yeah, I think it was technically 18. I think it had to be 18. I can't remember. But I moved out to Oxley. Okay. Yep. In the deep west. The other side yeah. of the city. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with Nathan Cross, another good pal. And uh, Dan Newcomb, another good friend. Oh, Dan from The Brave. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, we lived together for a little while. And then I got really drunk for a few years. Yeah. And that, as, as most of us do once, yeah. we, once we hit 18. And now it's literally history. I cannot remember it. <laughs> so what about what, what uh, made you move... I guess when you were 18, was it uni or was it just like, I got to move out? I was, I finished school. I finished high school. I was still at home. Uh, I did two years of university and then I decided that I didn't want to do that particular course anymore. I was doing a human movement studies. Yeah, I'm exactly course, the same. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I was originally going to go into teaching and I figured I didn't really want to do that anymore. Um, wasn't keen on hanging around kids. So put the kibosh on that and, uh, I, I don't know. I think I just got sick of living at home. I was just one of those kids that, I mean, my parents had split up and uh, was harboring a, a few really unsure ideas about what I wanted to do with my life and all this kind of stuff. So I figured, you know, I'd just get out of home and feel it out and see what happens. And yeah, cool. That so it's, it. it's really weird. Like, we've got a lot of similarities. When did your parents break up? Um, I was 12, I think. Okay. Yeah. So early on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, quite yeah. early on. Uh, so yeah, dad moved out and, and we were living with mum and, um, you know, I think that lack of a, a strong male presence in my life just led me to be really unsure of where I wanted to go, what I wanted to be and how I was going to make that happen. Yeah, sure. So, so when I moved out, searching I just, for answers. Yeah, and, kind of. Yeah. So yeah, I just moved out and didn't really care who I live with. And it was just lucky that I knew those dudes from going to shows and, yep. um, yeah, we just did, did that, hit it off and it was great. So let's talk about, we'll backtrack a little, little bit. You mentioned meeting Dan and those guys through going to shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously I know you through the, you know, the hardcore punk metal scene in Brisbane mm-hmm. and that's the music that we're into. Uh, but as you were growing up, what was your first, can you, do you have like a first memory of like when music was like, oh wow, this is... This is rad. Yeah, really early on, I either bought it myself or my parents used my pocket money to buy it for me. It was uh, Michael Jackson's History? Yeah, awesome um, record. And I think I had a couple. Well, my dad had a couple before that Michael Jackson records, and that was the first one. I was like, oh hell yeah! Like this is my jam. Running around the lounge room, you know, pulling moves, doing that whole thing. But even as far back as pre high school definitely like primary school listening to dad's records he had like little river band and a bunch of beatles stuff pink floyd deep purple dire straits you know the kind of stuff that most dads yeah dad music yep you'd put on on the weekend and it'd just be in the background and you'd be doing stuff in the yard or whatever and um not that you were consciously thinking about it as such but there wasn't like a music wasn't a focal point not really no never um it wasn't until I was in high school, my first high school band, and I figured out that you could record music using a, a pair of earbuds if you plug the earbuds into the record input of like a stereo because they just act like a microphone just wired the other way around. And I'd set them up like in different corners of the room and play drums or get my high school mate to play guitar or whatever. And we just like piece together bits of music that way. And I guess that was, yeah, the first time I was like, fuck yeah, I'm like, do this recording on a cassette or yeah cassettes yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah both sides of it i guess that was the first time i was like yeah music's fucking sick and then yeah fuck yeah i can make music yeah yeah even better so going from michael jackson who i don't care what anyone says is the fucking man the king mate going from from mj so you said you had a couple of mates at school who got you into like frenzel and and stuff like that yeah my friend on the sunny coast uh he, I don't remember what he was into before that. His dad was in a band. I knew that. Um, but one day I showed up at his house and he was playing all this, like, Green Day. It was when when Winamp was a thing. Yeah, cool. You know, and he used to play, What's, like... What Winamp skin did he have? Oh, I can't remember. It was, like, the Sketch Amp or something. <laughs> um, still whips the llama's ass. <laughs> um, yeah, he, has this play, he had this playlist of, like, 
uh, Prisoners of the USA and Green Day and like Alistair and yeah, cool. a bunch of Scar stuff. Uh, and I remember being like, fucking hell, like, this is so good, like hell catchy. And it was just that point in my life where I was not being afraid of going skating and breaking into the school after, you know, weekends and stuff and like, you know, rebelling against my parents and all this kind of thing. I was like, fuck, this is the soundtrack for the next at least two years of my life. Yeah, cool, cool. And from there, it just grew. So what took you from from there? Because I know for me, going from, you know, growing up listening to like metal and punk and stuff, was it the first time that you saw a band live that you were like, holy fuck, this is what I need to do? No, not no? necessarily. Uh, the first band I ever saw live was Real Big Fish. And at the time, I was just keen to dance i guess it wasn't really like a thing i wanted to do do it wasn't until i had a friend that i went to that show with from high school and then he took me along to see uh afi i think was the next one afi was that at uh the arena the arena with i think against played that yeah and that was the thing so against were the local openers yeah and he mentioned that they were from brisbane i was like holy shit i had no idea that you know there were bands like this that played this music in my city yeah and then I ended up just going to see local shows from there, like Morningside. Uh, I think Morningside played with Thursday as well, was the next yep. big kind of show that I saw. Cool. From there, it kind of like when you start talking to people, and then I met Nathan and Dan, and they were in a band and going to the shows at Lions Den and stuff, and all these people that were my age, you know, in similar situations for, as far as living situations and doing this kind of thing and getting to play with these big bands and have fun and all this kind of stuff. I was like, hang on, yeah, maybe I can fucking do this. Yeah, cool, cool. And so, obviously by this stage, you know, you're 18 plus and you've already started playing drums by this stage? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I started in high school. Never really got a formal education about it. Just kind of bashed it out and taught myself, I guess. And then... You're one of those... Lucky people with natural rhythm. And- oh, I wouldn't say that. No, I, well, I was lucky to be surrounded by people with natural rhythm. So okay. Nathan, obviously, is a, an amazing drummer. He still plays in Def Cult and bands like that. Um, a walking metronome. And he was really uh, instrumental in getting me to focus and practice and try new things and get different techniques going and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I think that was the main driving force for that to flourish, I guess, was to be around people that did the same thing and had the same interest and I could talk to them and bounce ideas off them and and learn and learn yeah, yeah that yeah. whole thing cool so what was the first you mentioned you had obviously like most of us who play in bands or have been involved in the scene most of us have had shitty bands when, or maybe not so shitty bands when you're younger <laughs> in my case I had a fair <laughs> yeah, righto yeah, <laughs> yeah so what was your first proper band I guess that you had that you started in Brisbane or- uh it was me, Elliot Compton, Rowan, a guy called Matt, I think, in a band called Torch the Sky. Torch the Sky. Yeah, hell, hell, local Brisbane metalcore. Um, absolutely woeful. I think we pulled off a Misery Signals cover nice. somehow. Yeah. Oh, man, it was terrible. But uh, it was great. Like um, That was after I met Lachlan and he was doing um, Club Phoenix at Rosie's. And we got a few shows there and that was really cool. And then I think it just got, like, I got too big for my boots and I took it a bit too seriously and everyone else quit the band. <laughs> so right. Like, come on, guys, we're never going to make it if we don't shape up and rah-rah. Don't wear matching military hats. Yeah, and- yeah, yeah, <laughs> that kind of thing. Man, I had long hair at the time. I was fully into it and, I don't know, took it too seriously. But, I mean, that kind of illustrates how not to do music as well, I guess. yeah. But yeah, it's hard. Uh, I'm, I've been lucky with all of the bands that I've played in that I've been in like really collaborative bands. I haven't sort of ever been in a band with the classic dude. Right. You know, the classic yeah. band dude. Yeah. Um, so you learned from that, did you? Yeah, I learned. I mean, that was kind of a ham-fisted attempt at making music. It was music that I listened to and not necessarily music that I liked playing. Sure. If that makes sense. So I, yeah, I got a, a good feel for... The dynamics of of being in a man. I, mean, I played soccer as a kid, and I knew how teamwork worked, and you know how to be collaborative in that sense. But artistically, it's way different. Like you've got these real, obviously really strong personalities 
egos as well egos you know that kind of thing and especially like how old were you at this stage (laughs) early 20s yeah so you you know we're guys in their early 20s you know the still like that post-adolescence yeah kind of thing going on a bit of bravado going around and especially in that scene where you know the tough guy is is the alpha guy yeah uh yeah so i just learned i think to be more artistic rather than um louder in that sense like to be desirable through my artistic talents rather than or my artistic flair rather than you know my organizational flair I'm like yeah. you know yeah sure yeah and then it was stabbed in the guts i think was the next one cool <laughs> which had no artistic talent which had no organization <laughs> and was just a fucking blast just got, literally yeah blast blast, blast beats, beats <laughs> and 30 second songs and heaps of beer and just friends everywhere man it was it was the greatest it's funny thinking back to that band uh stabbed in the guts who i think you know with the kind of explosion over the last within the hardcore scene and over the last probably five years of you know like that power violence-esque kind of stuff it's only sort of now becoming popular through bands like nails and sure and stuff like that and shackles and yeah but you know stabbed in the guts had a good crack at that sort of style ages ago yeah i mean i think mine's never always had it down anyway there was that thrashy kind of side of it all but i mean we mind eraser was a big one for us bones brigade um iron lung you know all those kind of but around at the time anyway yeah like the swarm and stuff like yeah, that. yeah but never really had like a full commercial aspect to it yeah um so it's cool yeah it's really cool to see now that that style of of hardcore or metal is is becoming more popular but it's completely i mean if you take municipal waste for example and compare it to now i mean yeah yeah worlds apart right yeah as far as you and i are concerned but um yeah it's cool i really like it um so let's let's just backtrack for a bit or kind of backtrack sidetrack i guess um speaking of stabbed in the guts uh-huh. so stabbed in the guts so what i would consider like uh, uh, inverted commas Fat Louis band Right Yeah So let's talk about <laughs> How fucking rad Fat Louis is For a little bit Yeah So Fat Louis is a pool hall First and foremost uh, Karaoke Hangout Second And second most And then a cool place That we used to go drink heaps And play in bands on the floor uh, In Brisbane And Run by A wonderful person Named Chris Hunter who I think has been like 10 years now, more than 10 years. I think, yeah, well, I think last, he had like the 10-year anniversary shows. Right. The end of last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it was just a staple for, for us. It was an 18-plus venue. It was probably the best 18-plus venue because it didn't feel like an 18-plus venue. You know yeah. what I mean? Like It's it's a venue that's got the DIY feel. Totally. Yeah. yeah, it was, I think the space itself was meant to be a dance floor, but we just put a PA in there and couple of shitty mics and turn our amps the way the fuck up and <laughs> yeah. took over the place uh on fridays and saturdays and um it was just like a breeding ground it was like we were all kind of looking for something anyway and uh regardless of who was playing or what was happening everyone was just at fat louise yeah. you know so it was just one of those spots where you could you didn't really care what was going on you didn't have to know who was playing you just go and all your mates would be there and luckily there were just sick bands happening at the same time so i think stan the guts had their first show there i think i was there for that i was definitely there right i can't remember maybe willows i mean i can't remember either yeah may i actually i think that sounds pretty spot on yeah from from post uh fat louis happy hour yeah memories. yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll, uh, we'll we'll get into uh the gift horse and Shane and those uh, kind of things a little bit, a little bit further down. But um, so yeah, just with with Fat Louis, um, did you guys? What did you guys learn as a band by playing there? Uh, to not book venues elsewhere with heaps of stairs out the front. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> narrow staircases. Oh, man, uh, I don't know. Just that DIY, like you were saying, the DIY kind of ethic that per- pervaded, pervaded. Oh, yeah. Who cares? <laughs> that style of music that we were playing in that community that we were a part of, like we always used to share all our equipment. Uh, it didn't matter who got on the mic or, you know, if there was no one there to get on the mic, it was just like, go and have fun. It was just not about being seen or being 
heard or anything like that. It was just an outlet, I guess. It's a place to go and be yourself. And Sure. So I guess some people who don't know, like if there are people listening to this from somewhere that's not Brisbane, the cool thing about Fat Louis was that it was free. Free, yeah. So you no didn't entry. have to worry about, uh, I mean, you know, to a certain extent, you didn't have to worry about promotion in terms of being under pressure to bring numbers, to, you know, to get paid yeah. and things like that. You knew that you weren't going to get paid. Well, you, you might if you were lucky. If you drank enough. If you drank enough. Yeah. <laughs> you get off the bar. Uh, nine times out of ten, there'd be an interstate band playing and everyone would just give their money to them anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, and it was right in the middle of the city, which for a DIY kind of venue is pretty rare. Yeah, exactly. And being a floor show kind of venue, you didn't have the big stage. You could, you know, get it right up in people's faces. You could crowd surf. You could... I don't know, throw your beer around and just, I mean, there was no rules essentially. There was no security. Um, it was just good vibes, good times, you know, cheap drinks, free entry, mate central. So many mates. So many mates. <laughs> but there was so many musicians and um, bands that cut their teeth, still cutting their teeth at that place. And, I mean, even, you know, it's been open 10 years now, doing, or doing shows for 10 years. It's been open for a long time. But Yeah, totally. Um, those kind of shows for 10 years, you know, I'm pretty sure even bands like, I'm pretty sure Violent Soho would have played a couple oh, of yeah, shows definitely. at Fats. Can't remember if I was at any of them I or not. wasn't. Can't, can't be cool and claim that I saw <laughs> Soho at Fats. Although we tried to make it happen recently and it was almost on the cards under like a pseudonym type thing, but didn't have happen. Didn't happen. Uh, yeah, it's, that, <laughs> that place is really cool and it's um, that kind of era in music in Brisbane was really, really cool. Uh, it went on to, you know, Fat Louis is still going, but at the same time, you know, you had um, a couple of years later, you had Sun Distortion open up and yeah. those kind of really awesome artistic spaces that let people cut their teeth as musicians and promoters. And, yeah. And that's where I kind of wanted to get into as well because I, I know, obviously, your official title is that you're a technical director, is that right? Manager, yeah. Technical manager. Um You've done a heap of touring with bands as a front of house sound engineer. Front of house engineer, tour manager. Um, so, so where did that where did that come from? When did you start doing that kind of stuff? Well, touring with bands started with Western Decay. They went interstate for a couple of shows. There was a, a metal festival in Scone, New South Wales. That is the most random thing I've ever right. Heard. <laughs> Oh, man, it was wild. Um, I don't remember much. I was pretty hungover, but uh, we did Newcastle, Sydney, and I think that one on the way back home. So that was the first one. As a sound As guy. nothing, just as a guy to go drink beers and smoke yeah, cool. cones. And I've, I've it, held that, that yeah. title a few times. <laughs> that was my first interest in touring anyway. Um, but then it wasn't until... Uh, so we have a friend called Dave Williams who currently lives in the US who's absolutely killing it as a front house engineer um, who I think at the time was doing some touring or he was working at Rosie's and he, he kind of like I was at university at this point uh, for sound engineering and he kind of pushed me to go into I was doing more of the studio recording kind of side of things and he kind of pushed me to go into doing live stuff at Rosie's uh, and then our other friend Lachlan, who you mentioned before, was um, running a his own promotions company um, called Monolith, and he'd done a tour for Rosetta from the US previous that I was along for, and uh, he brought them back. And uh, originally, I was only meant to be selling merch, but there was a few shows. I guess he was finding it uh, difficult to get uh, sound engineers on board for and he knew that I was studying it and had done a little bit here and there and, and asked if I wanted to to take over for a few shows and I think and then uh, our other friend Cam Gillard shout out Cam yeah Cam uh, started a touring company or a, produ- a promotions company called Vanguard and his first one I don't know if it was the first one or not but um I did Born of Osiris, After the Burial, and A Breach of Silence. And that was, I think, my first big actual tour as a... That, that for me, really surprised me because knowing the music that Cam right. traditionally listens to and the bands that he plays in, I mean, I know where Cam's come from as well, yeah. but uh, those bands, uh, Born of Osiris and After the Burial, I mean, 
that's like the complete polar opposite <laughs> as to what I thought. Well, it's a, it's a. He was in collaboration with like Ricky and a couple of guys. Well, with Matt as well from yeah. A Bridge of Silence. So I think yeah. that was the driving force, I guess. But um, I mean, Cam is one of the <clears throat> excuse me one of the most successful small business owners uh, I've ever come Both across. He and his partner. Yeah, him, yeah. I mean, Fleur, Fleur spe- yeah. yeah, especially as well. But uh, I guess it didn't really matter for him what the band was or who it was as long as it it was a chance to do yeah. something yeah yeah and i mean obviously it did really well and uh we did a few more tours after that and that's kind of how i started getting into touring as an engineer like doing stuff with bands so that that, way. that i remember that after the burial tour i didn't actually go to the show but i remember you coming into crowbar yeah i think it was after one of their shows oh, yeah. and you were just like dude you got to listen to these bands yeah and it's that kind of, I mean, I listened to a bit of like modern metalcore and deathcore and stuff, but that kind of like genty stuff I hadn't really heard much. And I was like, yeah, this is cool. Uh-huh. And then, yeah, you know, you you were psyched on it and it the was crazy. sounds that they were pulling. and Yeah. Uh, I think it was the first band that I've worked with that used digital amps, you know, like, I like don't know what stuff like or, that. Anyway, and I was really dubious at the start. I'm like, oh, fuck, this is going to suck. It's gonna, yeah, yeah, I want two amps. Rah, rah. And then they played and, man, like my brain was splattered across the back wall. It was crazy. And then they had these, I mean, obviously it's pretty full on metal, genty, you know, crunchy kind of stuff. And then they had these really beautiful, uh, ethereal, like Misery Signals-esque lighter moments as well. And that just, man, my boner was 10 foot high. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. So that that's only quite recent i mean that was probably six five six years ago something 2013 yeah so about five years ago yeah so i I didn't realize that it was that that was like your first sort of run as the big boss (laughs) front of house man yeah i mean it was kind of just a jump in the deep end and go for it i was doing stuff at rosie's for a little while kind of getting around the place transcontinental hotel and other spots in brisbane that needed a a spot guy to fill in but like i said mainly i was focusing on uh, studio stuff at the time I was really I mean when I went to university for for recording or sound production uh, my goal at the end was okay I'm going to build a recording studio it was my five year plan yeah build a recording studio you know do really well at that see what else happens and then like I said Dave came along and said you know you should try live and, and see how it goes and it went too well yeah, too <laughs> no, I'm stuck so with like there's a the big obviously the big difference between being a studio uh, engineer in terms of running your own studio and front of house is mm. the fact that you're not stuck in the same place every day. Yeah. Uh, Personality-wise, it live suits me much better because I have, uh, I wouldn't say a short attention span, but I've got a short patience level. You know sure. what I mean? Like recording is very methodical and very accurate and very... You know, you, you sit, can sit there and measure the distance from mics to, to cabs and you can measure between this mic and that mic and it's all about phase and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Whereas live is very much in the moment, you, you know, there's still an, an element of that, you know, you're placing a mic in the right place on the speaker cone and, uh, you know, all that kind of uh, theory kind of aspect of audio and how it works. But then it's it's so much in the moment and on the fly and... Adapting... Yeah, like working with different scenarios and situations and thinking on your feet and, and that way it was way more my style of, of working and how I am as a person, I guess. Uh, so, yeah, I just kind of fell into it and loved it and here we are. So from doing Born of Osiris and After the Burial, I mean, you've gone on to do, um, off the top of my head, Mono. Mono is my current one, yeah. So yeah. I work with them. Uh consistently you know every year and you've gone overseas with them a couple of times yeah so mono mono have taken me around australia through asia china uh later this year we're doing europe and back to china and taiwan and then next year we've got a a few other big things on the go that's cool so have you done any other overseas tours with any other bands yeah uh a u.s band called caspian took me to china as well we did a a few shows through asia hong kong and singapore um i went to the u.s when i wasn't a sound engineer with a band called la dispute sure on a tour with thursday young widows and fall of troy which was 
fucking wild. Yeah. Just, I mean, those bands were my heroes when I was growing up, so that was really cool. Uh, I've done New Zealand a bunch of times with Engine uh, Nose by the Trail of Dead, Blood Dispute as well. Yeah, so oh, Misery Signals, we did Misery Signals in Australia, not overseas. Yeah, overseas touring is kind of limited with you know, the amount of bands and stuff, but uh, yeah. mid last year I did Europe as well with um, a couple of bands from Sydney, Meniscus and Dumb Saint. Shout out, boys. Cool. So the that that uh, role, I guess, the front of house, it's definitely you haven't been stuck behind a desk for the last no. five years. You've yeah. stuck behind <laughs> people who probably lean back in their seats on their planes. But Correct. But do you, do you enjoy going overseas with the bands? I love it, man. It's... Yeah. Weird because it kind of all came together and happened at a time in my life where I was getting married and um, my life was changing to very much a more rooted kind of path, like staying in Australia, staying in one city at a time. And uh, that's where my mind was at as well. But at the same time, all of these great opportunities to go overseas and, and all that kind of thing came up. So it it's kind of in my blood now it's weird like i mean obviously when you go overseas you get that kind of itch to travel and you want to see different places and experience cultures and all that kind of thing that goes with going overseas but touring it's kind of like being at fat louis every day in a different country yeah cool. you know what i mean like it, it just itches every single ridiculous scratch i could think of having through music so you obviously when the opportunity arises and work allows you you know a I'm band gone. comes to you and says we want to go and do europe yeah i'm going absolutely yeah cool yeah um which is kind of a weird thing now because being a draculas and being full-time is is the other big thing that i've always wanted out of music is to have a full-time job be stable and have consistent income and not have to chase my own money and pay my own tax and all that kind of thing that goes yeah. with it yeah but i'm doing the same show every night in the same venue whereas i could be elsewhere doing other things so it's it's a weird like, dichotomy like yeah catch 22 totally yeah yeah, yeah. But, i mean i'm happy it's fine but i'm going overseas <laughs> so let's talk about uh we mentioned uh shane a little bit earlier sure. our, our good friend shane collins uh, passed away a couple of months ago now which doesn't feel nope doesn't feel like it feels like it was yesterday it feels like he's still here it's crazy yeah, but here. um Shane took his own life um, as a result of uh, depression and, um, you know, I don't know all of the details. I don't think many people do uh, in terms of what got him to that point. But um, without us getting too <laughs> too sad about, <laughs> about things, which I guess we're allowed to do if we want. But uh, I just wanted to touch on... You know, you've mentioned touring overseas with bands. Um, we've mentioned, you know, a lot of, you know, Fat Louis and drinking. And um, I just wanted to get your insight on, you know, reflecting back over the last, what, 10 years or so, um, your observations on uh, the m- mental health within the music industry what are you what have your observations been in terms of you know alcoholism um and drug use and mental health and all of those things that you know i guess most of us knew yeah were rampant within sure what what have your observations been right so as far as the music industry goes uh well first of all like i mentioned before there's a lot of big personalities you have a lot of people that are using music as an an outlet for whatever it is that they're trying to get out of themselves so they whether they're struggling with something whether they're happy about something whether they've got something to say or teach or learn um it kind of lends itself very favorably to big personalities and people who are that way inclined um which unfortunately brings with it a certain level of of mental instability mental health issues illnesses things like that uh touring specifically is kind of the antithesis of what you want as far as that goes it's very transitory uh it can be quite lonely um like with the europe tour that we did last year we were literally in a new country every day um you don't get to stop and 
rest and you don't get to exercise or eat properly uh your provided dinners are usually really unhealthy and involve a lot of alcohol which is often free which you can't really say no to because it's free it's very hard to say yeah Yeah. uh i mean i went i almost i think i actually literally did become an alcoholic on that tour uh getting the shakes and very poor um health and and exercise regimes and stuff like that like it's 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 really bad for your body to go into it for extended lengths of time unless you have the facilities and the luxury of having time yeah to do those things and, and uh, even even then i mean you look at someone like you know recently just in the last two years you've had chris cornell mm. and chester from lincoln park both you know take their own lives and i know um from a friend of mine who was close with soundgarden that uh, even right up until the end, you know, like the guys from Soundgarden would go out for a beer after a show and Chris would stay in the hotel room because he just didn't want to risk the temptation. Right, yeah. So that goes back to that loneliness and that you were talking about. You know, like people probably look at, I don't know, even just from, you know, in the shitty punk and hardcore bands that I've been in, you go away to Sydney or Melbourne and you come back to your normal job at work and everyone just thinks it's like this... Uh, you, you know it must be cool to be rock and roll and they don't realize like i've never toured to that extent but i can see right like where you're coming from yeah um and and just looking at those kind of examples like it it can be really lonely and isolation isolating and absolutely when you especially when you're on different time in different time zones and different schedules from your family and friends the people that you do identify with or you would normally lean on for support um there's a massive void that gets created that uh, you know the people that you're with, you don't either necessarily want to talk about with them because you know it's a, it's a, essentially a working relationship, uh, or have their own things going on, and you know you just kind of deal with it in your own way and and by yourself. But um, along with that, because it is a job, there's also the stresses of of the finance side of of things. You know, if the shows don't go well, if you don't sell much merch, if you get robbed, if you have a crash, whatever it is, like those are things that really significantly impact your mental state when you're on the road and when you're already feeling a bit hungover or shitty or if you're dealing with depression or anything like that, like those things just compound and compound and compound and you start looking at the calendar and thinking, fuck me, like I've got another two or three weeks of this or whatever it is. And And also being stuck in a van or a... Or a plane, plane or a hotel yeah, room with the like same people. Uncomfortable, you're sore, you're tired constantly. You stink. You st- like everyone stinks, you know. Uh, and that's where the drug uh, embellishment comes into it as well because you're looking for something quick that will make you feel good for a short amount of time. Like, ah, oh, I can just, you know, yeah, whatever it is. Sleeping so, habits are fucking horrible. Yeah, your sleep goes down the drain and yeah, your ability to rationalize and, and dig your way out of... of holes i guess mentally becomes really impaired and unless you yeah unless you're used to it and you, you either train for it you've got your own techniques like i was lucky that i fell into into yoga and and getting myself into a good exercise regime so i could just separate myself and still have something to do that would yeah you know give me something to do so i could achieve something without having to drink or whatever it was you know so let's just talk about the the drinking and that sort of stuff for a little while because uh, I know, you know, for me when Shane passed away, um, so much of what we would do together would involve drinking. Yeah. And I think everyone within our music scene, uh, most music scenes, I guess, you've got, like you said, you've got big personalities, you've got people with, uh, m- you know, huge artistic talents, mm-hmm. which nine times out of ten hand in hand goes with some sort of problem or trauma or inability to cope with social situations and all that sort of stuff so we're all these kind of like misfits that have kind of been looking for something and without ever really talking to each other about stuff i guess we fall into medicating ourselves yeah um do you would you agree with that um yeah it depends i guess case to case on who you are as a person um Obviously, if you've got, like I said, no formal training in, in how to deal with these things, and yeah, like easily you could fall into yeah. patterns of 
drinking to forget or drinking to deal and drinking to get over drinking and yeah, yeah. that whole thing. Yeah. It's a vicious circle. Yeah, it definitely uh, it definitely builds and builds, especially for younger people, people, you know, coming out of their, their teens into their 20s or, you know, which a lot of successful, I guess, Australian bands are in that kind of demographic as well. They're not really the 30s or 40s that, yeah, yeah. you know, kind of recognize and or have the ability to recognize when a, a drinking problem arises. It just is. And you, you sort of, I was thinking about this on the way here about, uh, you know, like especially in our scene with hardcore punk metal, uh, when you're growing up, a lot of the heroes that you're looking at, you know, you, you, you don't realize that you see how destructive they are, like people like Kurt Cobain, for example. Uh-huh. You see what they're like on stage and in their interviews, and you read, you know, you you read their interviews and and you hear stories about how they act. And you kind of at the time because you're growing up and you're looking for role models and it's music that you really love, and you see like that destructiveness. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, for me, like I was probably drawn to that a little bit, and, oh, and you yeah. sort of think, oh, that's really cool. And it's for me, it wasn't until I got a bit older and I was like, which when I'm talking older, I'm only talking a couple of years ago when you're like all of a sudden you're like holy shit this is not good <laughs> yeah yeah it's a funny thing for our scene as well because obviously the straight edge movement is so prevalent in uh hardcore and metal so they, there's this weird segregation of people that absolutely will not touch a single drop or line or anything of anything that will alter their conscious state uh versus even the extreme ends of metal who you know the dudes there will drink anyone under the table any yeah. time of day um, and as a person coming into that kind of scene, you, you kind of just follow either what your friends are doing or if you don't have many people that you know, just what you feel you might be okay with. And uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it was definitely drinking. I, I distinctly remember, I can't remember what show it was. It was, I think, Daylight Curse and someone else at the Rev. And I, these dudes were drinking and they dropped a beer or something. I'm like, oh, fuck, I'd never drink at a show. Why don't you just come here and have fun? Rah, rah, rah. Um, and it must have been like, Four weeks later, I was drunk as fuck at the same venue. I was just having a great time. I was like, oh, I can't imagine going to a show without drinking now. It just yeah. goes hand in hand kind of deal. So, um, mate, you mentioned, briefly touched on yoga before. Yeah. Uh, in terms of that giving you like a a path, pathway away from negative situations. Uh-huh. And when you, was that something that started when you were on the road or... Uh, no, it came from my ex-wife. She was a, a yoga instructor um, and she was dealing with a lot of really heavy um, personal issues uh, and yoga was a really good outlet for her to get through all of that. And it wasn't until that relationship kind of broke down that I kind of saw the value in... Um, well, I mean, I've, I've been through depression before and I knew how mindfulness works and how useful it was, but it was always just a sit-still you know be in your own mind kind of deal whereas yoga is very much a, a physical challenge at the same time as as you know kind of focusing your thoughts yep. and, and balancing your breathing and all that kind of stuff so that's where it kind of started and then i really i was well into touring by the time i started doing it on the road let's just say that but um it became a very good source of not being sore not being tired not having to drink at that particular time like in the morning or whatever it was um feeling good and feeling balanced and you know catching my breath when i felt overwhelmed and you know that kind of thing so it really filled a a a big void that was present in my life on the road and uh is something that you know i still do every day yeah awesome Mm. well i know for myself i started seeing a psych like a a psych last year Mm -hmm. and it's it coincided with me starting to get into weightlifting right. and it's uh, very similar. Like, you know, you do yoga every day, mm-hmm. what, twice a day, once a day, once a day, once, once in the morning, in the morning. Yeah. Uh, whereas I, you know, I've got myself in the routine of doing the weightlifting like two to three times a week. Right. And that discipline and, uh, you know, same breathing. Yeah. Um, and a physical outlet. Right. Um, I think it's something that, people who are especially our mates who are in our circles who struggling with whatever whatever problem it is that they've got um if they would probably look at maybe not drinking so much and and possibly doing something active yeah uh yoga's awesome i've only done it a couple times i really want to do it some more because 
I've, if I felt amazing afterwards. Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, people should probably try and, I don't know if it's surfing or getting back into skating, even though that's whatever it is, going for a run, yep. you know, going for a walk. Um, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's all chemistry in the end. Uh, doing these kind of physical activities sends a bunch of endorphins through your body, which is the feel good. Yeah, drug, exactly. Know? Yeah. Feel good chemical. And, um, there's nothing really that can come close to it. Uh, uh, synthetically like you know booze will is a depressant it's it's a downer i mean it'll stop your brain from working overtime but it's not going to get you away from your problems and um stuff like i mean i did weightlifting with you or went to the gym once with you and uh nathan and um uh felt all the same kind of activations that i do with yoga um you know the the dopamine in my brain you know flooded my brain i was like oh, fuck yeah i achieved something and that's kind of why i do yoga in the mornings is the first thing i do when i get up is do it an hour or half an hour whatever it is so that i've at least achieved something before yeah. i start my day well there's know? actually uh like proper psychology behind that as well right. um i'm not sure if you've heard of a guy who's got pretty much one of the biggest podcasts in the world tim ferris have you heard yeah of? so one of Tim's podcasts that he did, and it's called His Five Morning Rituals. Yeah. Um, so he's got five things that he does every morning or that he tries to do. Is this like hang? Yeah. So make your bed. Make your bed is the right. first one. Um, hang, which means basically like if you've got somewhere where you can form the bottom of a pull up, yeah, and just get yourself off the ground and hang. Get yourself off the ground, hang by your arms, mm-hmm. and let yourself decompress after seven or eight hours of sleep mm-hmm. uh his other one is i think he there's a tea that he has okay. every morning uh, he recommends people you know whether it's a green tea or whatever uh a journal entry right and uh meditation uh-huh. they're his five morning rituals and he tries to achieve all of them every day if but he doesn't put the pressure on himself he's like if i don't do all five whatever i've right. done some yeah, yeah. Uh, and the first one which is making your bed um, which is like if you're in the military, that's the first thing that you have to do. Exactly. My dad was in the Navy, so right. that's I don't do it anymore because once I got older, I was like, fuck this. <laughs> I'm never making my bed again. I feel you, man. <laughs> yeah. So he wasn't like fully strict, like bouncing a coin off it, but it was like <laughs> you get up in the morning and you make your bed. That's the first sure. thing that you do. And the psychology behind it is that you get up in the morning and if your first goal when you get out of bed is to make your bed, You've ticked and you off. make your bed. That's ticked off. You've yeah. achieved something before you've even left your bedroom. Totally. Um, so it gets your brain into that. Um, yeah, you know, like kind a positive mindset to start. Yeah, day. and you start to seek things to do sure. that you can achieve, so you can keep ticking them off and and make yourself feel better. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like doing something in the morning. So you do yoga every morning, irrespective of whatever else you do in the morning. You you do yoga every day. Yeah. I think it's really important that people find something that they do first thing. And I mean, for me, for pretty much the same. Once I was eighteen and moved out, fuck this! I'm not no. eating, I'm not eating breakfast every day, mum. <laughs> All of a sudden, I was <laughs> I was I was drinking every night, and yeah. I wasn't eating breakfast. And then I turned into this big fat lump. And right. you know, if you get up every morning, if you don't have to do yoga, maybe if you meditation could be sit down in the corner and listen to your favorite song yeah and right. then, then mean, have a bite to eat it can be as simple as making a coffee yeah you know that's yep. a, that's a form of meditation it's just a process you go through that makes you feel good and you get the smells you get the actions and it's just something it's like a routine something yep. that can fulfill your time that makes you feel good at the end of it um obviously coffee is not the best because it ups your heart rate and you get anxious and it's all weird but <laughs> uh yeah I'm, i highly recommend at least doing something before you get into your routine for your day. So what about what you're talking about recommendations and we're on this kind of stuff. Is there, if anyone out there wants to try and do yoga at home, mm-hmm. what's what YouTube or? Yeah. I mean, uh, there's a few apps. I've found that apps are really not the best because they kind of draw your attention away from what you're doing. So, uh, I found a couple of, yo of, uh, like I said, YouTube channels. Yeah. Uh, my favorite is one called yoga with Adrienne. Uh, it's an American lady that, um, does a bunch of uh, half hour, hour long sessions that are focused towards specific things. So if you've got a sore back, sore hips, whatever it is, if you need more energy, um, dealing with loss, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and it's really airy fairy and it sounds kind of, uh, 
you know, oh, you know, fuck it, I just want to get good. Um, yeah. It's it's really helpful. Like it, yoga isn't about being flexible or being strong or anything. I mean, those are nice side effects of it, but or being like enlightened and yeah, yeah. not really. Yeah, I mean, I don't I subscribe to the to that side, of, like the spiritual side of it, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it's just invaluable in in quieting your minds and being in control of your your thoughts and your emotions and um, being able to direct yourself positively through anything that life you know kind of throws at you. Have you seen any of the DDP yoga stuff? Diamond Dallas Page. Diamond Dallas Page. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> no. You haven't heard of it? No. Oh, dude! After we're finished, you're gonna open YouTube. Okay. Yeah, he's like a. Full-on proper online no yoga instructor. Yeah. Fuck yeah, that's my new favorite one. Yeah, if you, <laughs> everyone who's listening to this, go and look up DDP Yoga. Um, I'm surprised like his sponsored posts haven't come up for you on Facebook or anything. But oh, man, I haven't seen it at all. It's and The stories are amazing. Like he's, Excellent. There's, there's this one really cool one. It's an ex... Um, I think it was a paratrooper okay. from in the Gulf War and he fucked his back up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, put on so much weight because he just couldn't exercise. He just turned to this massive, you know, obese lump. Mm -hmm. And um, he, I think he saw like a DDP yoga thing (laughs) on YouTube. And so he subscribed to it and DDP does FaceTime with you. That's so good. (laughs) Shows you what to do. And then it ends up, you know, like within, I think he does yoga with DDP for like two years. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the next video is his dude running around an oval. Like he wow. seriously couldn't walk before that. That's crazy. Man, I, uh, through doing a bunch of corporate audio work, I used to build PAs and stuff like that. And I ended up with uh, an aggravated disc in my lower back, which had me bed bound for quite a while. Probably should have told me that before I made you deadlift. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, fine now, but that's the thing. Like I did a, a week or two of yoga and it was totally fine. It's just, it's amazing what it can fix and, and help rehabilitate. It's it's really an, an invaluable process to go through and thing to learn on many facets. Awesome. So my recommendation is DDP yoga. Your, yours was, was it yoga with Adrian? Adrian, yeah. A-D-R-I-E-N-E. So that's an app or? Uh, it's a YouTube channel. YouTube channel. Yeah. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, uh, I think we should probably let people know that we've actually been having a beer while we've been doing this. Have we ever? Uh, the p- whole point of the podcast is called A Few Quiet Ones. So, uh, yeah, we've been enjoying the uh, Black Ops Pale Ale, which uh, these guys are from the Gold Coast, which is where I'm from and where Matt is currently living. Yep. Um, and nice I'm not a Pale Ale person, let me tell you. This is a good one. It's a really good beer. I like it. Uh, yeah, awesome. Oh, well, well, Matt, thank you very much for doing this, being my first victim. Pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's been awesome. Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, guys, if you could subscribe to the channel on uh, either Anchor, uh, you can go to iTunes uh, and, subs- and subscribe there as well. I'm going to get my socials cranking over the next couple of weeks. I've just uh, got myself settled, found somewhere to live and a job and all that sort of stuff. So now I'm going to look at getting myself some decent gear and try and take this shit to another level Boom. been pretty uh pretty blessed with this first podcast that i've done like we said matt's in audio and we've got like pro tools cranking and proper microphones and shit i don't think anything else <laughs> gonna sound as good as this one but anyway guys um thanks heaps for uh for tuning in subscribe to my shit and i'll talk to you all soon peace